0: What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of BDE. I have a upgrade to my co-host today, Mark Myers, in the building replacing Chuck Yates. Chuck is up in New York. I've seen pictures wearing of a him collar. wearing a collared shirt, which I'm just like, is that the Chuck I know? I don't know if did, I've ever... Did,
1: did you see the video of his uh, dessert last night? Yeah, I did with like yeah, the flame on it. Yeah. yeah,
0: It's funny. One time uh, I went to a uh, an institutional investor with Chuck. And, you know, we're wearing slacks and button downs and it was like so obvious that we were out of character that the institutions like looked at Chuck and they're like, well, you're dressed up today. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, got a good show lined up today. Got lots to talk about. Um, man, where do we want to get get into this first? Let's talk about Ukraine and Russia. Um, Mark, you're really well versed when it comes to this type of stuff. I've been yeah. seeing a lot of stuff on Twitter about, um, you know, it's hard to tell what what's um, what's real, and what's not, what's propaganda, and what's not. But it seems like Ukraine is really um, pushing Russia back. So let's talk about that and the implications that it has on energy.
1: Yeah, I think the numbers are the counteroffensive. I I read something in the Washington Times yesterday. Jamie McIntyre, who was long covered the Pentagon on TV and and in print, uh, basically characterized this as the greatest counteroffensive since World War II. Uh, the numbers, and mostly in the northeast, uh, pushing all the way to the Russian border, uh, suggest that they've reclaimed within the past four or five days 1,200 square miles. And since the counteroffensive began, that number I saw characterized as upwards of 2,300 square miles, or two Luxembourg. So uh, this is this is an interesting I like how you frame turn it up of for events. People like right? I me. Mean. Give me two yeah right on the tip of your tongue <laughs> is that a Liechtenstein <laughs> so I think you know th- this has got a lot of, of implications certainly uh puts Putin on his heels uh, we're, we're not and NATO is not out boldly declaring you know final victory but means a lot going into the winter in which I think Putin has a lot of plans to try and destabilize and demoralize NATO in terms of its support.
0: That's what I was going to say. I for mean, Ukrainian independence. It's kind of peculiar timing coming into winter. Um, obviously, Russia has leverage with net gas supply. Did you see this commercial last week of, um, oh man, I can't remember the uh, the energy company in Russia, but they put out this, commercial it's an official commercial from the energy company and it shows a nat gas meter going from pressured up to no pressure <laughs> and essentially he's like good luck you know winter's coming yeah it meant to scare Europe did you see that on, I, I, had,
1: I did not see that I didn't see it no
0: one was talking about it the only reason I saw it is because uh a friend sent it over to me it's like dude what the fuck is this and uh, <laughs> anyways um I saw that. And
1: and, and part of this in the backdrop is that the propaganda is ratcheting up. In fact, not in the category of propaganda. You had a retired Russian parliament member. The name escapes me commenting on, you know, conjecturing as to whether it might be time to start peace discussions. Uh, So things clearly are not going as well in, you know, 200 days in. And look, the, 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 I think the plan was, uh, in terms of getting into winter and holding gas hostage, that Russia would at least be able to hold the line. And so making a choice in some particularly energy strapped European, uh, particularly continental countries as to whether or not, uh, they had the resolve to continue to support Ukrainian independence or wanted to be warm and eat. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that. You know, if things continue the way that they're going, it doesn't look bright for Europe coming into winter. But it just seems like what's happening over there could have some pretty big implications for the, the next coming months. So it'll be interesting to see. Kind of what what progresses or what actually happens over yeah, there. Yeah,
1: and I mean, there's always a wild card of what what he will do next. Yeah, um, for not, sure. Not not the most rational actor on the global stage. Yeah, the and two spe-
0: you know, speaking of Europe and Germany and all these places, um, saw something about. It's funny when you talk about energy and supply chain. Like you just think like in the source commodities, whether it's natural gas or oil or whatever may be coal, but saw Germany actually may have a chance of running out of uh, DEF fluid, which uh, stands for diesel emission fluid. And we can talk about that a little bit, but um, (laughs) what is that like? What are the implications there? I mean, I'm sure Germany has way stricter standards than we do when it comes to diesel motors and a lot of vehicles over in Europe are diesel. Well, the key
1: components of AdBlue, it's a diesel additive. So commercial truckers put it in with every tank full, I believe. It's basically one third urea and two thirds deionized water. In fact, I saw that uh, tweet. Um, I think it was sourced out of Bloomberg. But you know, people were uh, replying to the tweet and saying, "Well, they ought to just <laughs> ought to just piss in their tanks, and that takes care of the care of the problem." But uh, on a more serious note, the um, the immobilization of the trucking fleet, because as I understand, some of these uh, commercial trucking fleets actually have kill switches in the trucks that don't allow operation because of, of, you know, the NOx risk from burning diesel. You remember the old black clouds that would come out of the stack. I on, remember the dude, I'm, redneck. Really I roll, cool. I'm a redneck. We roll coal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, just, just another stress point in the, um, you know, in the components of fertilizer supply chain and all the different things that they're they're used for.
0: Yeah, Jay commented and said deaf fluid is dog piss. And <laughs> like <laughs> literally it, it is. It's just this clear fluid. It looks like water. Um, and when you go to truck stops, uh they have deaf along with diesel and you can fill up uh, your def. And you know, I worked out in the oil field when uh legislation passed that you had to be running deaf on diesel trucks and it was a big problem. I think this was back like 2013 timeframe wireline trucks, for instance, like Mark, you've been out in the field, you know, when you run diesel equipment and trucks before death, yeah, you, you (laughs) idle and you never turn your truck off. Like it just sits there and runs and it started becoming a problem because what happens is that these trucks essentially go into regeneration mode and they'll dump a bunch of death fluid in there. And so all of that black smoke that used to get emitted, Get caught in this filter, it dumps death fluid in there and essentially burns it. And um, you'd have to let your truck go in regen mode. And sometimes your truck would just just shut down and you couldn't operate. And it became the biggest pain in the ass um, and really actually um, changed changed the way that uh, diesel trucks were operated out in the field. And you talk to any field hand, like everyone hates hates Everybody death hates systems, stuff. yeah. So, <laughs> but you look over at like Germany, I mean you know, there's such a cultural difference between Europe and America when it's come to diesel. I mean, their cars have diesel motors. So a lot of people drive diesel engines. And so everyone over there is using DEF. So I'm sure you go over there, everyone knows what DEF is. You come over to America and only truck drivers <laughs> know what DEF is. Um, my,
1: my analogy is catalytic converters. I remember that when I was a kid, everybody complained about it. And now they're Essentially worth their weight in gold. Oh yeah, now the now you got to worry about
0: the methods. I to two, yeah, so. <laughs> I was say, now you got to worry about the methods, cutting them, uh, cutting them off in the mall parking lot. So just kind of uh, you know talking about some of the potential things in supply chain. Uh, you're also telling me about a potential rail strike, which. I didn't see this, so school me up on that real yeah, quick. Yeah,
1: I picked up on this yesterday. Uh, apparently, the rail workers in the U.S. are threatening to strike come Friday, and there's about 90,000 in the rail workforce. And the primary issue, if you think about how trains run today, it's usually a crew of two. But unfortunately, that those two-person crews are essentially on seven days a week call. Yeah. So you've got no relief from, you know, the stress of being called out in I would argue a fairly critical part of the uh, country's logistical network. And so, you know, just a few stats, 75% of finished vehicles from factories to dealership are delivered by rail. You've got a third of fertilizer that moves in this country by rail and about 50% of grain exports, which we already know, because of the fertilizer shortages, because of mandates to, you know, outlaw the or prohibit the the use of chemical fertilizers, creating some some potential for food shortages and and inflation. And of course, the all important things, Amazon and UPS packages. A rail car will handle about 2,000 of those. So, yeah. remember what happened in the port of LA, uh, the rail port of LA, when there was a big. Uh, disruption.
0: Yeah. So have you, you seen know. this thing? Uh, <laughs> that just reminded me um, there's been this thing on Instagram. I can't remember if it's in Memphis or where it's at. I think it's Memphis, but the, uh, the trucks backed up to Nike, uh, factory got ransacked and all of these, uh, (laughs) off market Nike shoes got, got stolen. And so supply chain, uh, logistic (laughs) robbery, it's kind of like fast and furious style where these people are robbing trains
1: and and trucks. I spent a couple of summers working in high school and, um, in college working for a grain inspection service. And we we had to sample every truck that came into the elevator. And then when we got the dreaded call that there were 300 rail cars out in the baking, no shade rail yard, we had to go walk that whole line of cars. You just don't, you know, rail transportation, what it means in terms of logistics and supply chain um, is always in the background. Yeah. You, you, you get annoyed when you get stopped by a rail crossing trying to get somewhere, but um just a little fun fact: It would take 457,000 new trucks or additional trucks every day to offset yeah. uh, a nationwide rail Imagine stop The traffic and, and they on probably IT couldn't get out blue. Or, so yeah, yeah, and they can't. Yeah, they can't <laughs> get their death fluid. Yeah, it is
0: kind of wild to think about how vital the rail system is. I mean, look, this country was really built on on the rail system, but nowadays in modern life, like if you live here in Houston. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Back home in West Texas, I mean, you see, you see the the trains running right. through, and you know, you named a few products that are delivered. But think about coal deliveries, oil, um, things of things of that nature. I mean,
1: yeah, you know, the chemical transport yeah. that you see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we'd be pretty
0: pretty fucked if we didn't <laughs> have people running the trains and you know kind of sympathetic to those guys but also oil and gas runs 24 7 that's just kind of uh that's what what comes of the territory so stop being soft and just go run the fucking trains uh and
1: and congress does apparently have the leeway to step in and 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 stop a strike
0: yeah uh we got a comment uh says this is why pipelines are so important i mean yeah, not only, not only just making sure that we're able to deliver it, but pipelines are just much safer than real car too. So we should, we should be pushing pipelines. That's preaching to the choir here, um, (laughs) in this audience, but (laughs) yeah, so that, um, man, I mean, you think about the supply chain constraints that we've already had and how bad it's, uh, you know, it's not as bad as it was. Like, remember trying to get stuff like last year, just trying to order stuff. Like you couldn't find anything. And it seems like, that's gone gone away a little bit. Like, it it has. Remember, like we couldn't find microphones for the podcast. Like, just anything that you tried to order, you couldn't get. And I think that that's gone away. But, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully that this this doesn't add on to it. Do you think that this has any impacts on like gasoline prices or anything anything like that? Or is most product just transferred by pipeline? And anything that this touches will be minimal.
1: Well, I you know I th- I think to the extent that there are inputs to gasoline refining that arrive by rail, um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But I think a nationwide rail strike would be, um, you know, something that would propagate through certainly all all sectors. Of the I, th- I think the the loss, the economic loss, is estimated at like two billion dollars a day if if a nationwide strike were to to shut down. Uh, yeah, rail traffic. So it's it's not insignificant. $2 billion a day. <laughs>
0: That's kind of wild. To, you can't even wrap your head around uh, what that actually means. So we'll have to keep tabs on that and, uh, and see what happens.
1: So we were talking earlier. Um, it seems like there's a catalyst or two with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act.
0: Yeah. So it's funny because you and I were talking last week And then a few other conversations that I've had, I mean, look, the IRA was big bill, right? And so it's taken a long time to unpack and actually see what it means. But one thing that I've been hearing consistently is the catalyst for hydrogen production. So uh, do you want to dive in a little bit to what uh, the IRA is doing for, for hydrogen and we can can go from there?
1: Yeah. The, the, the one provision that I, Studied a little bit was for green hydrogen, and the hydrogen had to be generated, as I understand it, by either nuclear or defined renewables energy, which to me implies the electrolysis process. The vast majority of hydrogen today for industrial use is generated by steam reforming methane. Yeah. So let's,
0: yeah, let's unpack that a little bit because I actually had two hydrogen production companies on oil and gas startups. So All of a sudden, I'm a fucking uh, mastermind hydrogen production. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being sarcastic there for anyone that that didn't pick up on that. But anyways, uh, hydrogen, these processes, they use electricity. Um, It's kind of like – go listen to our podcast with Omium. I think it just came out this week. Literally explains the process and how it's almost like a reverse fuel cell and uses electricity to produce hydrogen. And so my take on the RA was – if you could produce hydrogen using renewable, clean electricity, then you would you would qualify for these uh, subsidies.
1: And it's up to three dollars a kilogram, um, which is a lot. Yeah, and it goes. It there's a sliding scale uh, down to sixty cents a kilogram.
0: Like I got to imagine these companies that come on my show. I mean, both of them say that they can make it for under a dollar. Yeah so that's a pretty pretty widespread there
1: <laughs> the 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 c o two limit is four kilograms of c o two per kilogram of of hydrogen generated. I think in the podcast may reveal a, a different take or a different set of facts. I think that pretty much that provision is confined to uh, electrolysis, yeah which uses water and doesn't generate CO2, or very much, as opposed to the steam reforming of methane, which creates a, both a fugitive methane issue on the input, but also generates CO2 as a result of the process. Um, I'm wondering if blue hydrogen will ever find its way into that mix of considered um, you know, something equivalent to green where the CO2 is permanently sequestered. So if you think about all of the the vast or projects or the co2 use or in th- the sequestration potential in places like west texas and offshore offshore will we get a closed loop where the co2 is kind of out of the atmosphere is not emitted and then further spur that i i think i um you know think about more of the system issues going forward and that is what it, what is the kind of what is the uh, um, logistical infrastructure needed uh, to then make it viable as a, as a kind of a nationwide solution, Yeah, but it's,
0: it's an interesting set. John of, Mink, of issues. John Mink commented and he said, that's a lot of renewables. You need to make hydrogen. And it is for sure. One thing that was really interesting to me about the podcast that I recorded with Omium was, you know, I think Chuck and I have talked the last few, few weeks on the show about this about co-location of um renewable energy assets with uh with uh factories or manufacturing plants and one thing that i kind of just had my eyes open to on that podcast was the inputs needed to make steel and going from fossil fuels to hydrogen and you can literally co-locate these renewable assets you know whether it's uh hydro or uh, solar or wind with the steel manufacturing plant and produce hydrogen right there on site uh, as inputs. And I mean, a bulk of world emissions come from the process of making steel. And so I thought that was super interesting. So
1: sidebar, uh, I read something last week that said if, if we are to meet our, whatever the kind of generally accepted framework of EV penetration globally, that uh steel and cement uh capacity production capacity will have to go up somewhere between 20 and 30 fold and that that brings its own set of abatement issues um what do you you know you're a west texas guy what do you think about all this co-location and what it may mean for manufacturing i'm actually gonna write up a whole blog it, it, post. it's sunny and the wind blows yeah right? no so, i'm gonna write
0: up a blog post because i have this vision for west texas i mean west texas is a fucking powerhouse and so, one, if you look at the space industry, Midland it has been trying to really set the the, the area of, as a stage for space exploration, and it's why you have Blue Origin launching down a Big Bend. Um, you know, back in the day, we had um, shit. Why am I? Some failed. Um, Can't not remember the the space company's name. But Midland gave them ten million dollars to relocate <laughs> their headquarters from California to to Midland, but. I mean you have 300 days plus of sunshine you have every uh major energy source whether it's oil gas uh solar wind and you have the talent and the blue collar work ethic to become a manufacturing hub and so i can't tell you how bullish i am on west texas ability to co-locate manufacturing and production with these energy
1: assets you know, it's going to require hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of acres uh, to do these yeah. located uh, <laughs> at scale. You're not with, doing this up in the Northeast. With the power generation <laughs> you're going to need to drive an electrolysis process, or you know those high energy intensity manufacturing operations. Yeah, I'm
0: getting off this podcast, and I'm going and buying land out <laughs> in,
1: in in West Texas, and so uh,
0: CM. That's what I'm gonna call you because that's my initials. So I'm just gonna abbreviate your your name. Uh, it said methane reduction uh, is big in the RRA as well, uh, but there's little discussion outside of monitoring. Um, it's funny. So oilfield rando who's on Twitter, uh, which is uh, a great, he's a great follow. I love this dude. I love this dude. Um, and he's a roughneck, but his stick is he will sit down and read every bill line by line. And he sends me a message. He's like. Hey, check out page 246 paragraph. I'm like, this guy's 250 pages deep in this bill. Um, but he was telling me, he's like, there's huge subsidies uh, around uh, methane reduction that could be used by Bitcoin mining. He's like, also a lot of subsidies around PA of orphan wells. And so there's actually a lot in uh, oil and gas too. So if you're interested in that stuff, go check out page well, uh, 246. I, of IRA. I think it-
1: I think it aligns very well with what companies are increasingly putting into their specific targets, uh, long-term compensation incentive plans uh, with respect to things that they have, you know, certainly a a direct influence over and and a responsibility. And I think most companies are, you know, certainly on board with that, but fugitive methane emissions. And as we've talked in the more distant past ad nauseum about flaring, but um, yeah, there's, there there's a lot for everybody it seems and yeah we'll we'll, we'll continue to yeah to rely on on footnote reader or i Phil had Rando. uh <laughs> yeah
0: yeah he just plays such an interesting character uh there's also someone uh john i think it's john that left this comment yeah john said that uh could work in West Texas, just need a water source. That's obviously uh, a barrier out in the middle of the desert, but um, there's a, uh, there's a cool startup that was on oil and gas startups and, um, and they are, if you look at the states of matter, you have liquid, solids, gas, but the fourth state is plasma. And they're actually using plasma to dissociate uh, H2S molecules wow. and produce hydrogen from those H2S molecules. And so you go put that out on a refinery and you take this this waste, this H2S, and you produce hydrogen and loop it back in as inputs.
1: That shit's cool as fuck to me, man. Uh, there, there is a lot of interesting emerging sour gas treatment technology that's that's coming to fruition that I think we're gonna see more of. Yeah. uh, Particularly as supply gets tighter and rig count stays um disciplined. Yeah.
0: The uh you know the thing for me is I you know one, I'm pro energy and i think that technology solves all problems like that's who i am at my core and so when you look at the nexus of oil and gas and sustainability and a lot of these technologies are being developed by people from (laughs) oil and gas i mean um that's like i think that that's super cool and especially like the h2s problem like look, H2S is a fucking problem in oil and gas, both from a uh, technical perspective and an economic perspective. Now you got people literally developing technologies that are cutting edge. I mean, talking to Redshift, it's like we've used plasma in really dumb ways, like (laughs) plasma TVs, plasma torches. Like it's not like it's not smart ways of using plasma. It's like
1: 198 million hours. A day on TikTok, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, uh, Mark and I were talking about how much time people spend on TikTok. 198 million hours a day. I'm eight hours a day of those. Um, but another thing that I wanted to talk about real quick, and I was looking up to see if I had any um, any information on it, um, and I, I I wasn't prepared today, so I don't. But I saw to tease it for next week. Yeah, I'll just use it for next week. <laughs> the amount of investments that are coming into manufacturing in the United States that are a direct result of the IRA. Like I saw Samsung is building out a, uh, uh, I don't know if it was an EV battery uh, manufacturing plant or something around lithium, but I think that, you know, just on the, on the conversation of talking about manufacturing and co-locating, like you're starting to see manufacturing come back
1: to the United States. so, So there were, there were, there have been four, battery deals announced since the IRA was passed and then two before it um, you have before it you had GM and, and LG and then you have Stellantis and Samsung Stellantis is the parent of Chrysler and then you've got Honda LG which we talked about a couple of weeks ago when I was last on VW Mercedes Panasonic and then Tesla with its Canadian uh, venture uh, for for battery production. It's I, I haven't seen a price tag for any of these under like two, mm-hmm. two and a half billion dollars and some are as high as four and a half to five. Yeah. So I know, we're, we're, talking we're talking about, about serious ma- capex here. Cattle. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: That's um you know, you can talk shit about government all you want. I'm one of those people, but you see stuff like that. And I mean there's a direct correlation between the passing of the IRA, which I think we need to change the name of of, of that bill like just does not make yeah. sense but um you know seeing i'm very bullish on the united states becoming a nation that can build and manufacturing and producing things and so i like seeing these announcements that we're starting to do that
1: well the, you know the thing that i think we have to get back to being more thoughtful about and more realistic about is just you know the the production of raw materials in the supply chain, because we do have a lot of vulnerabilities um, today, and things that we have stopped doing over decades since the '70s in the United States, mining chief among them, um, and all of this is extremely mining dependent and mining intensive. Um, yeah, that's that's a whole other show. And a whole yeah, other <laughs> but you know, those, unfortunately,
0: those, all these topics are so complex that we can't pack them into NIMBY, a thirty-minute show. Has,
1: <laughs> Nimby has turned into banana, which is built absolutely nothing anywhere near anyone yeah (laughs) something like that so it's um i i think that will come as we look at what has has been um pretty significant incidents where we see just how vulnerable we are in the west to supply chain disruption and geopolitics yeah right so um yeah we we certainly have the know-how and these are all these are all very good paying jobs as well. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah, I, I laugh when I hear that the uh, green jobs, like clean energy jobs, are good paying because that's just a bull side Like They don't pay like oil, oil field does, but manufacturing does. So. Well,
1: nuclear as well. I saw a piece on Palisades. You know, Whitmer has has done a, a reversal in Michigan uh, for restarting Palisades, which is part of the northern Energy. Um grid. Yeah. And I know this because I'm on MISO and not ERCOT. <laughs> um, but I think there were like 400 permanent jobs associated with that facility. Where do you live that at the MISO? It's a quirk of the 1930s design of the Reliability Councils. And so on each each border of the state, you have Say, you have incursion by miso on, from the east coming in from Louisiana. I was say it's on the east
0: on the east coast. So there's this
1: there's this peninsula that comes in from Louisiana that is miso, that captures. Gotcha. Literally, if you go south of the main thoroughfare, uh, south of where I live in the woodlands, you're, yeah. you're you're in ERCOT. Yeah,
0: it's just funny that I, I forgot that you live that far so, like south north, south Dallas. Like yeah, we live in separate. Places,
1: <laughs> right. So, uh, finishing the point on Palisades and jobs, um, the average wage or the average compensation for those four hundred jobs is one hundred and seventeen thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Right? So these are highly skilled, yeah, high paying positions. That, yeah. You know, it's great to see that that decision result in you know some some
0: staying power yeah. for. Some good, some good jobs. Yeah. yeah. That's what I hate about the government. Like they'll, they'll tout job growth and it's all just job programs like TSA or hiring 80,000 agents at the IRS. So got to talk about real legitimate and qualified jobs. Not
1: not to get you off on, you know, uh, kind of sharing the, the public wealth, but U S news and world reports ranking of universities came out yesterday. Yeah. Out of the top 2019 cost $55,000 a year or more. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's just amazing. Cheap. It's just not cheap. <laughs> so there's putting be, people back to
1: work at a nuclear plant that are looking to pay for their child's education. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in the next generation is is probably uh, probably a good thing. I agree.
0: And CM said, we focus too much on software development. Uh, there's really put a short circuit on building hardware in the USA because investors aren't really willing to invest hardware. Spot on, man. Yep. They All they want is SaaS <laughs> um, they aren't interested in hard tech, so hopefully, uh, we're going to change that. Um, which, yeah, and I, great- I
1: would just comment having sat in a chair that was about technology development within oil and gas. There is a lot of good hardware potential.
0: Oh yeah. Before, before we end the show, I'm going to put in a plug because I'm, I'm, I'm calling this. Um, so someday when I'm rich enough to not, not give a shit, I'm starting a fund. And the fund's going to be called that shit won't work fund. And it's going to be investing in deep tech and hardware and things that just have like no chance of of making it. Um, All right. We got to wrap up this show. But real quick, we have a very solid finger of the week. I'm going to show the clip here in a minute. Uh, Mark, who is who is the finger of the week? What's the group's name?
1: Uh, They are a climate and animal justice organization. Uh, They claim global presence, but out of the UK called Animal Rebellion. And this month has been about stopping uh, delivery of dairy in the UK through essentially vandalism. All
0: right. So
1: watch this clip real quick so you guys can have some context.
0: All right, Mark, I don't know if you have ever spent time around uh, semi truck trailers, but drilling through the sidewall of a semi truck trailer is kind of, it takes some balls. So I respect them uh, in that capacity because I'm not going to go take a drill bit. Like, watch, I'm going to replay this clip real quick. Watch this, uh, watch this girl at the beginning, at the very beginning, she drills through and her hair blows back. Like, this is how much pressure is on this.
1: So, so yeah the, funny, uh, funny you should mention that in an, an, another summer job experience i first learned a friend of mine took a job at a truck stop uh in corpus christi and they changed tires changed flats have you ever seen the 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 flat changing apparatus in a truck stop yeah I it's have. got a cage around it yeah though, for a reason <laughs> yeah i mean that's you know that's that's like uh, Dude, the guys, diffusing a bomb. You
0: know, the guys that I respect are the ones out in West Texas that'll come out and change your uh, truck tire on the side of a road. Right. I'm like, man, that is a tough. It's a tough job. Um, so, anyways, these animal activist groups uh, they want to stop the shipment of uh, dairy. Um, I think their goal is to stop dairy production over the next month. And also, um, I think they had something on their time. They, they've hit seven
1: distribution centers with this type of vandalism. And, and the larger point is, is that, you know, any of this debate is not advanced constructively through destruction and, and certainly vandalism. Did you ever, did
0: you ever see that video where there's the activists and they're stopping a truck? and like they're on top of it and they've uh, disabled this truck and the news is out there reporting and they're they're interviewing this guy and the guy's like yeah but what are they doing and the reporter's like because they want to stop oil transportation he's like yeah i get that but that's cooking oil that <laughs> truck. And so that's like one of my all-time favorite
1: in a european situation that is more on the front lines of dealing with you know severe inflation impacts you've got uh, you've just got a number of issues that are impacting upon, um, uh, the European rank and file or the, the average citizen. And so, you know, a staple for lower income, like dairy products for children and nutrition, uh, to disrupt that is just, you know, that, that's just, um, I, it's unhelpful to the, yeah, to, not, to the resolution.
0: Not, yeah. I mean, these are not productive right. people that build, but all right, guys, that's the end of the show. John Mink, he thought the plug was the fuse plug. It wasn't the fuse plug, but here's the fuse plug. Get your tickets. <laughs> the fuse coming up in October. We want to see you guys there. Uh, appreciate y'all coming in, tuning into the show today. As always, please share with a friend helps us out a lot. And we will catch y'all next week, 10 30 AM central time Tuesday. Mark, thanks for joining me. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for-